This episode of Verbal Tap brought to you by NogiBJJGear.com. Use the promotional code VerbalTap15 to get 15% off of your order. Do it! They announce Khabib Gaethy for October, and frankly, as someone that tried to announce a wedding for that time, good luck, Dana, keeping your <laughs> venue, which means it's time for Verbal Tap, the show that proves fighting way easier from outside of the cage. I am Kevin, your host, of course, with me, Raph Esparza. Raph, mm. um, what it, so I guess this is out in the ether, and GSP had a comment? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So, mm-hmm. okay, I thought he just said, you know what? I'm going to hold off on that because I can actually already yeah. see the pre-light. He's not here yet. Yeah. He's not here yet, but he's he's rounding third. Which is excellent because that gives me a chance to talk about NogiBJJGear.com. They have special promotions right now, Raph, that I cannot effing believe. Buy three BJJ apparel, get one for free. Which means, mm-hmm. were you already planning on buying six items? Well, just buy four. Don't even worry. You don't have to put the you don't have to put the discount code in. Are you joking? They're Wait, put the do- discount code in. That helps us. Oh, that's for the verbal tap fifteen. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus, I'm Kevin, sorry. You're no. right. I was worried about this mix and match uh, thing because it's just going to do it for you. That's how great this website is. But you do have to put verbal tap fifteen in that that <laughs> one. Um, but if you spend over 150, what other discount code, Raph? Free bag. Guess what it's for? A free bag. It's unbelievable. <laughs> That's great. No Use verbal tap 15. Don't worry about the other codes. They'll find their way to you. I do want to ask this. Yeah. The fights over the weekend. Anything worth noting from you um, as we wait for GSP's life to <laughs> sure. come here? Well, Kev, <clears throat> so some good news. Do you know how many fights there were on Saturday? 40. Give or take, I, I know they they were planning like fifteen, and I thought they because did the of, full fifteen. Kev. Oh my good god! Okay, but here's where it's interesting: they started at the same time they have normally started on a two p.m. on a random Sunday, Saturday, Saturday telecast on this. So they started at two p.m. Now, normally when you start at two p.m., you go to five p.m. It's about five fights. They space them out. Kev, they did eight fights in three hours you were in my ear without even messaging me being like it can be done look at it eight fights three hours why the fuck are we all just standing here make this (laughs) fucking party go i have long been a critic of how (laughs) it baseball is really struggling to get people back and the ufc is like we can go longer right we can yep. do an eight-hour event, and it's not eight hours of action. It's it's about forty-five minutes of action, three hours of muscle farm on it, and <laughs> Monster Energy drink commercials. <laughs> Way, I I wish there was like um they would never keep this statistic, but how much are the announcers talking versus action happening? And in the NFL, it's going to be like okay, it's. 20% talking, 80% action. That's probably generous. The NBA is going to be like 30, 70. And then UFC is going to be like, 
It's 97% commentary, <laughs> actually. Fun fact. It's uh, the highest ratio, even higher than cycling, if you can believe it. Let's discuss this, though. You bring up a good point about commentators. Let's talk about Dan Hardy having some words with Herb Dean. Here's why. Yeah, what was so, his deal? Was it all the fights? Was... How slow they've always been? <laughs> no, he was not. He was not espousing your oh, main oh, okay. thesis, Kev. Thought I'd ask. It is Francisco Trinaldo versus Jai Herbert. And in this fight, Francisco has been putting in work on, on Jai. Makes a good comeback. And knocks Jai pretty, pretty, pretty well to the point where Jai does that professional wrestler, almost that Ric Flair flop when he's gotten hit and then he oversells it like he's a cartoon character and then falls to the ground comically. Just imagine that. But when Jai Herbert got hit, he punched the air a couple times as he was falling back. So that should tell you. Dude might be out. However, Herb Dean runs over and then just kind of stands there and looks at the dude like, mm, let's see this one through. Francisco Trinaldo looks at Herb, kind of gives him the, do I really have to do this? And Herb doesn't move. So he goes, all right. And he starts just <laughs> wailing on him a little bit. And I think he pulled a little bit of the punches here. But then Herb, after about three or four of those punches, stops the fight. Anybody who could see that probably would realize, yeah, Jai Herbert was pretty out. Now, granted, you're going to have your people in the comment section who go, yeah, if he called that too early, yeah, you guys would be mad. Would not have been mad here. <laughs> now, this was one of those situations where Dan Hardy apparently breaks the protocol of shutting the fuck up. And then as Herb is exiting the cage, lets him hear an earful. And both of them the next day say their respective cases. Herb's like, hey, listen, Dan Hardy's just trying to put a, a Superman uh, cape on his chest and just trying to be that good guy, that heroic guy. But when you're in the moment, it's hard to make those decisions. And I stand by my decision. Dan Hardy, meanwhile, makes the argument, hey, listen, dude, if I fuck up, I just look stupid on TV. But if Herb Dean fucks up, someone could die. So, hey, bud, you fucked up. And you should admit that. Meanwhile, the UFC or some governing body says that they're going to look into it and conduct a full investigation of what happened. When they say that, I think what they're referring to, though, is the situation between Herb and Dan Hardy. Maybe they'll look at the fight and the fact that most people can objectively. I don't know that a notebook that you pull out as you go there and do a report and go, yes, he was punching the air. That seems B-A-D. Don't. Or if we're talking about the interaction between them and that there's some sort of weird protocol of professionalism, which, Kev, never forget, the UFC is nothing but professional. It's how they live there. It's a creed. It's a creed that they live by forever and ever. <laughs> that Dan Hardy, even going out of the way to yell at a referee, breaks a form of decorum that was arguably something that I think warrants a, hey, man, you kind of fucked up there. And I don't know if I'm in my place here, but I'm doing it anyway. So I don't know what an investigation is going to find other than uh, he was knocked out. You should shut up. And her bad. Don't try that again. Don't let people die. 
Well, gr- that's oh, it. Rap, hold on. Great news. Oh, I got to oh, put you shit. on hold here. News broke about Khabib versus Gaethy, and we knew we were going to get to talk to him because his answer on the fight kind of made it sound like maybe he was available here to talk. Pride of Under Armour, the Boneyards Dinosaur Show, George's St. Pierre. GSP, how are you, sir? Ole, 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 ole. It is me. GSP, what do you have to ask me, Kevin? I am so retired. Uh, I could not possibly answer questions about fighting being a retired fire. You're damn right, except you did and you didn't. Didn't you say something about like, eh, now I might, this might mess up my plan? Oh, you are talking about fun secret text message I sent Ariel Arwani. Um, Yeah, I, uh, I uh, told him things. Or, uh, yeah. First of all, I think we all know there's no secret text with Ariel. Ew. Second, that's big because I don't know if you also heard, but Dana said whatever he needs to do to make that happen for Khabib, he'll do. That would assume that Khabib wins, which he probably will. But <laughs> yeah, if he has a uh, two more fight, then, uh, you know, I would uh, consider it. And here's all I have to say, because I can already tell you this. This is definitely going to be, what if he gets you in the next Jurassic Park? What if you're the lead? Oh, Oh, now you are talking, Kevin. This Did Dana send you? (laughs) You with your firm (laughs) negotiation. It's going to be me and the uh, original tree from uh, Jurassic Park. The uh, Laura Dern. Yeah. Oh, uh, (laughs) yeah. Yep. The uh, Sam Nielsen mm. and uh, the Jeff uh, Goldblum. Yeah, very, very good actor. I would be in there. GSP, name. Look just the same. Good actor. Well, you heard it here. He's considering it. So, Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> Wink. I am not considering a fighting ever again. Well, Verbal Tap fans, he is, once upon a time, the greatest ever. Uh, George's St. Pierre. Ole, 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 ole. I'm retired. Oh, no, I'm not. <laughs> That's my favorite type of GSP interview, the one with some resolution. I am going to bring Rap on to break the news that we did not get an exclusive about if he's returning to fighting. Damn it. Once again, I've got maybe I should just keep you on the line. It really serves me right. I keep muting you so I can have all the Wouldn't- glory. Wouldn't really make things harder for me. You know, well, wouldn't change much for me. Can we bring Isaiah Wright in the hot zone so we can? Yeah, you know, I, ask I don't. Our I don't notorious... do an Isaiah Wright impression, so I think he's safe to come on the show now. Yep. Let's put on our interview voices hmm. for <laughs> NogiBJJGear.com's not paying us for the soft voices. We are absolutely stoked here at Verbal Tap today. We have someone we were, first of all, been trying to kind of loosely get on the podcast for almost two years because that's when I called one of his fights. He's my sister's favorite grappler, um, Raph. She's watched about three grappling events, but she's made a choice. We have from ETC Castle Rock, Easton. You've heard us talk about him. We love them. The one, the only... The last knee bender, Isaiah Wright. Isaiah, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing good, my brothers. How are you guys doing? 
We're fantastic. Do you consider yourself in like the echelon of nice people that break legs? Are you top five? Do you guys have a small meet and greet club? Um, you know, man, I don't, you know, we need to start a club for sure, but I'm definitely, you know, top one, number one in my mom's heart, but, uh, you know, I'm just kidding, but, uh, <laughs> it's like you and Craig, yeah, I don't know. you guys send Christmas <laughs> cards. Yeah. I don't know if I'm top one or five, but, um, I definitely enjoy being nice as much as I can and, and trying to snap some leaks. So, yeah. And one of my, my favorite parts about getting to sort of interview you talk to you and you've you've been making some some interesting headlines from a jiu-jitsu perspective for a while um you just had a jiu-jitsu times article that kind of featured some openness but we haven't gotten the chance to talk to you about starting jiu-jitsu and kind of the profile how do you when do you fall in love why do you fall in love with jiu-jitsu uh, it's funny. I actually remember, I remember watching UFC growing up and stuff, but I wasn't really too interested in it. My brother was really big into it, but I remember watching this movie called Red Belt. And I <laughs> remember I was like, oh man, this seems kind of, you know, seems kind of cool. You know, I was like, oh, it's a brother doing jujitsu. I was like, okay, I can, you know, it's kind of cool. And then my uh, little brother, you know, Xavier wanted to do jujitsu and kickboxing and he didn't have a car. So I would take him to practice and I'd watch him, you know, Valor is there at the time, Professor Valor. And I watched those guys do stuff. I'm like, okay, you know, and uh, he do jujitsu, and I was like, I don't know about that kickboxing stuff. Ain't nobody even kick me in my face like that. But I'll, you know, I'll try some jujitsu, and uh, <laughs> and I didn't like it at all. I remember the first time I went, I was like, that's stupid. You know, that's not real fighting. People holding me down, and I didn't like it. You know, and obviously I got you know embarrassed and exposed and took a little ego check. Uh, but I didn't go back for like six months after that. And then, um, you know, one day I took my brother back to. I that then at that point I was embarrassed. I'd drop him off at the parking lot and I'd go home and come back and get him. But um, like six months later, I came back into the academy and uh, Professor Valor and Professor Rob at the time, um, they were like, hey, man, do jiu-jitsu. And then I, I did it. And, uh, man, I just kind of never left. And it's been a hidden blessing in my life for sure. Well, and that you... was back in 2010, I think. It was like 19, 2010. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you've no. evolved better because I was just going to say <laughs> I've been doing it for 10 years and I still feel that exact same way you did the first day. It's like, this is ridiculous. Why are you just holding <laughs> me down? Damn it. This isn't fighting. <laughs> See, I guess the thing we have to explain to you, Isaiah, here is is that when people come to me and Kevin and they go, oh, you've been doing jiu-jitsu for a long time. Show us what you can do. It's always a very different version of like, well, um, hold on. I got something. Um, uh, this, th- this pass isn't bad. It works like 20% of the time. And you know what? Hey, kids, you don't know any different. They're like, how long have you been doing this again? And I go, I don't want to talk about that. Thank you for asking, though. <laughs> So don't we, be asking me no questions. <laughs> I, I definitely kill the Q and A portions of all of my training uh, for all of my training partners. I say the when you're you're starting it though, where does the real infatuation for it happen? Because obviously, there becomes a moment where you say like, "Oh, I want to do this forever," because the infatuation gets you in to see like, "Oh, huh, this isn't what I think it is." But then there's a moment where it starts to become kind of an obsession or something that you want to do professionally. When does that happen? I think uh, it was always kind of like a cool obsession, you know. I always like I never had any work ethic, but man, it's crazy once you believe in yourself and you show up and get beat up every day. The type of work mm-hmm. ethic and like this grit it takes to get through that point. But I don't think I really thought much about it until the first fight to win pro. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember a couple of weeks ago I got beat in a tournament. 
by Jeremy Hastings, like knee barbed me super quick. And then Seth was like, I'm doing this pro show. Do you want to do it? And I was like, I don't know, man. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, you know, and so I did it. And that was the first uh, pro match. And I was like, man, like I can do this, you know, and like Professor Valor and uh, Professor Ma always told me, Hey man, if you take this a little bit more seriously, you can, you can do this. And then uh, I just remember after that match, I was like, oh, like I, you know, and I got a little bit of money for it. I was like, oh, I got some money. He was like, okay, baby. We all going to Sizzler, you know? <laughs> you know? But no, I remember, but I just remember sitting there and I like went back and looked at my mom and brother and was like, hey, I can do this, you know? And I was always, I was coaching before. I remember I was coaching the kids and I remember, you know, I always loved coaching the kids. But I remember, like, jujitsu. I was like, I can actually do this for a living, and it's cool. And then uh, before I did jujitsu, I worked at, like, Olive Garden, and I never wanted to coach the kids. And boy, I was like, come on. I was like, I don't want those snotty-note kids touching me, man. You know, I'm cool with that. But then I stopped working at the restaurant and taught kids, and I was like, man, I'll, I'll never stop teaching jujitsu. This is this is really cool. So I was like, purple belt, purple belt, and I believe that I can, like, make this a living and do it forever. So let me ask. Hold on. Go ahead, because you know we're going to be on the teaching I, kids place for a moment. Absolutely, but we can't go any further without acknowledging the Olive Garden here. Now, <laughs> well, was this was this during the endless breadsticks era or pre? I, I mean, we need we need to get our uh, promo codes here. Listen, man, if it's in the endless breadsticks, and I you know this is the. This is before so Isaiah eat breadsticks every day. This is you know before healthy Isaiah. No, but um, yeah, I worked there for a long time. I worked at a couple of different restaurants, and it's not bad at all. I think everybody should actually work at a restaurant because it just teaches you how to like deal with people and stuff. But um, I just I got to some point, and I was like, yeah, actually, I got fired, so I didn't get to any point. But I was like, and <laughs> 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 let me keep it real with you, real quick. I'm fired, to be honest with anybody. So then I went back to the floor, and I was like, hey, that that job still available? Like, what's up, professor? <laughs> And so, you know, I'm not going to lie about that. Let me keep it real, real quick on the podcast. But, um, no, I got fired. And then um, I came to some point and I was like, okay, you know, I'll do this. But it was during the point of endless breadsticks. But to be honest with you, when you eat over a thousand breadsticks in like a couple of years, you know, it's just, it's, you don't want any more breadsticks, to be honest with you. So it sounds good, but really after every day, you know, 50 breadsticks a day, I don't want to say I had a problem with breadsticks or anything, but, um, you know, it, it gets it gets a lot. I understand, and you know, my respectfully thing- disagree, sir. <laughs> but I'll—that's fine. I'm telling because uh, you're also talking to two fellow waiters in the industry. Don't worry. And for me personally, and for me personally, I just think of it like this: the first days that you go to Olive Garden as a kid, and they're like, "Well, you can make the bread go endlessly," and I go, "Why would you ever leave?" And then they bring you that weird salad. They go, oh, this can continue forever, too. And I go, I haven't even gotten to the real stuff yet. Why would you do this to me? And you're a child and you don't understand. And you could eat for days. And I'm pretty sure I gave some waiters uh, some version of, my God, that child can't stop eating. So I, I understand that plight. What is the secret to a successful interaction at an olive garden because kevin and i understand we have both worked guest relations capacities but we don't have your special gift of being able to break people so we're going to start by asking what's the secret to making sure that things always go fine whenever you have somebody who is coming to a restaurant 
I'm going to give you the secret to Olive Garden or to being a good waiter. It's the mints. If you give somebody one mint, they're not going to really mess with you. You got to give them like a couple mints to get, you know to build that friendship for next time. You give somebody, you give somebody five Andy's mints. Hey, you got a friend for next time. No, but I think it's like really anything. Just like where I go anywhere, I try to make it a big point for the kids too. Just like looking in somebody in the eyes and saying like, "Hey, how's your day today?" And actually. Like, really really genuinely like asking like hey how's your day and like the cool thing kind of about the mask i'm not gonna get too into that shit anyways but uh, about the mask is like it genuinely like i have to have like genuine eye contact with somebody so when i go to the store i have to look them in their eyes and be like hey how was your day and i love it because they always stop and they're like oh shit no one's asked me that all day like, it, was, it was fine thank you how's your day so i think that's just the key to like anywhere jujitsu any anything in life like i just stop and just be a little more empathetic and show some care for people anywhere i go like hey how's your day my brother okay cool thank you let me get five on pumps that you know whatever it is so um mm-hmm. but i think that's the key success to anything really and the men there's going to be at least 18 people that have frequented the olive garden and like another 50 because we've we we're all this like everyone our age and a lot of our listeners are definitely have worked in the restaurant industry it's gonna be like I used a slightly different tactic. I'd spike the food with a mild sedative. Um, occasionally, I would, I would just try and usher out some free drinks, uh, break some rule. Rap, you know me. It was always about the charm as well. Mm-hmm, try and mm-hmm. see if I get a joke in there. Uh, mixed success. So uh, that one, I would like to hear from more people. It's like, how do you survive waiting tables? Because it's a fun, yeah. uh, fun mixed bag. I have to. I have to ask you about the kids teaching. So you notoriously are very good at it because I've gotten to see you interact with some students and, and you, you have a lot of passion for it. And I think you, this is no secret. Some people get burned out on it relatively quick. Some people really thrive in it. I have taught competitive speech camp for varying ages. Um, and I have vowed that after doing that and substitute teaching, I will never be able to teach under 18 again. I will only teach community college and older. You have to be able to vote before I will share knowledge with you in a classroom setting. That's that's my experience because it's like, oh, my God, this is wow, everyone. So you've thrived in it. You enjoy it. How's that spark go? What do you kind of identify as a as a difference in teaching kids versus adults? Um, man, well, one, I think I'm just a big kid, so I think, like, the kids, and kids, they sense bullshit, man, like, you know, they can tell if you're really genuine about what you say or how you teach and approach them, so I think if they can just see the genuine about it, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna invest it, you know, you know, they don't care what you know until you know how much you care about them, right? So, um, I think, I like the kids, man, they're easier than adults, you tell a kid to do a backflip and they... Not that I would do this, but like do a backflip and they don't do it and they hurt themselves and they get up and we say, hey man, control your emotions. It's okay to be sad, but we have to be able to control and express how we're feeling instead of just like, you know, throwing a tantrum or whatever. But then you ask them to do it again and they'll do it again with no fear. It's like awesome. And obviously as an adult, you have some limitations like breaking your arm and stuff like that. But new white belts will come in and you'd be like, hey, do a forward roll. And then, like, somewhere in life, we forgot how to be a kid, you know, like, I can't do a four-year-old, just like, whoa, shit, you know, know, man, where do we forget that part of just being a kid? So I think, you know, working with the kids is a little bit easier, you're not easier, I love working with the adults, too, but it's also cool, because the kids will tell all your business and stuff, don't tell the kids nothing, they'll come to class and be like, you know, mom said this, like, oh, hold on, that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. So, you know, don't tell all your business for sure. But um, I think it's a, a, a good blessing. I work in uh, Castle Rock right now at Ascension. It's like a sister school of jiu-jitsu, uh, Easton. Right? But, um, but it's really cool to be able to work with kids. And, you know, I, I look a little bit different from the kids that I work with. So I think from a different aspect of life, it's very beautiful to see that I, I speak differently. I don't play basketball. I'm not a rapper, you know, none of that stuff like that. So I think it's cool to be able to interact with people that are different at a young age. So when they get older, they don't see me as anything else besides like Coach Isaiah. We're just all people, you know. So I think it's cool. Really do. And Colorado Springs, sort of where you're alluding to and, and the Black Lives Movement are certainly, you know, we're all talking about that in, in the times and it's present. And that's traditionally a very military, very conservative, but also hardworking group. Um, and I think that's where, you know, not only is there a lot of shared respect, but but you can definitely tell you're you're making a positive impact and a proud impact in that regard, which is really appreciated because, you know, we need that representation in the community like we need it everywhere right now. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So if you guys check it out, man, Ascension and Castle Rock and then all the Eastons and Denver and stuff like that, check them out if you guys get a chance to. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing program. Yeah, the Easton people. Be, be warned. <laughs> we like to – we always um, explain it's like they train at altitude and um, it's a very tough gym, very uh, tough place spread yeah, across sure. with some crazy warriors. So you are – hitting the fight circuit though right now mostly a lot on fight to win i i kind of got to see what you were you were capable of on on a bigger stage in kansas at the ultimate absolute tell us about competing at that level because now you're a black belt it's no longer i mean that that's kind of you're up there so it's it's no longer just a development thing in terms of you've got people that watch you people that you teach and train are you fight to win exclusive do you try and mix it up it's a little difficult to answer that in pandemic but i i kind of had that question for you oh no sir um really anything i can get my hands on you know any any promotions that you know anybody wants them i'm definitely trying to get any matches i possibly can but um it's really cool difference from black belt and brown belt because like my first black belt matches have been still cooper and like i've watched him since i was a white belt and you're like man and then it ends up being even cooler because we, like, reach out and still talk to each other on social media and still shoot the shit. So I think it's cool. But, you know, I had a interesting black belt career so far. I've won some matches. The last couple of fights to win matches definitely didn't go my way. But, um, you know, it's part of life. And, and, and I'm really excited moving forward because I'm in a better mind space, like healthier and cleaner and stuff like that. So I'm excited for some new matches with a, a new mindset. I'm curious to start getting into that because here's something that really caught my attention. The article that you did with Avery I thought was super cool. I thought it was great that you were opening up about it because so many people don't. And then when they don't, it becomes a surprise like, oh, I didn't know or, oh, man, that really sucks. And it always feels like it's after the fact uh, for so many of these athletes who – I think what we try to encapsulate on the show is go through a lot on their own to begin with to be an athlete and then to have anything else that might hinder that process uh, becoming something that makes us go, man, they didn't compete the same today and I don't know why. So I, I'm very, very, very appreciative of, of you opening that up because I think that's a really key component for people to talk about their mental health. Um, how did that come about and and what prompted that discussion? Um, 
how it came about actually was was like my first article anybody asked me about. And I don't know, I was just really having a bad week that time and that week, and I was just, it was kind of on my heart, you know, it was on my shoulders. And she asked me, and I was like, does she probably does she want to hear like it's awesome and like you know ready for a fight to win, which is like would be my typical answer. And then something inside was like, man, screw it. Just, you know, just tell her how you feel. Either she's going to like it or she's going to edit it. And then I asked her and she's like, oh, no, that's awesome. And so, um, you know, I think people struggle with that a lot. And sometimes I was talking to my cousin about it yesterday. People struggle with that growing up, like, got to be tough. Or there's this mentality that you got to be tough or you don't be a punk and, and then uh, not share your emotions. But to me, it took me years and some therapy and good people around me uh, to be able to be okay to say how I feel and stuff. And before I was just in a dark place and it was crazy because I was winning. I was like winning matches and like cool matches and winning stuff, but I was just never happy and I was just getting sadder and sadder. So then I had to like one day just realize like, man, like I'm not happy doing what I'm doing. I want to get back to being happy doing jujitsu. So it, it's been a journey and stuff like that, but um, it's really cool. Like entering sobriety and like, it wasn't for my therapist, my coaches, my wife, my brother, and all these, you know, I don't got to name nobody. They know who they are, you know, but um, that helped me get to this point. So, um, yeah, but I think it's important to talk about it because I'm a, people would be surprised how many people come out and be like, oh, man, thanks. I feel the same way. It, it's cool because I think there's most people that smile the most, not everybody, but people that smile the most. And I joke a lot and stuff, but I was the saddest person in the room. I don't know how other people, I'm not judging how other people feel because we all go through our demons and stuff like that, you know, but people would never guess because I was always smiling. So I think it's important to, you know, it's okay not to be happy and it's okay to be sad, but I have to understand why and be able to talk through it. And it's okay to have my demons because they're never going to go away. I just have to figure out how to like, you know, go through life and, you know, overcome them and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it was just, you know, nothing prompted it. It was really cool. It was my first article, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go big on this one. So uh, I just talked about it. And yeah, it turned out to be really cool and got some really positive, good feedback. And um, yeah, and like I said, it's cool. And I think if anybody's sad, man, talk to somebody, like anybody. And we're all sad. We all go through demons. We all go through battles, losses, depression. I think it's part of life. But I think the part where we're all struggling, athletes or non-athletes, is just being able to talk to somebody and is letting you sad. So if anybody's sad, man, want to reach out to me or your people, it's like we're all here for each other. And, you know, I feel about that. Well, especially considering that this is during a time of COVID where people are isolated, they're by themselves. So mm -hmm. sometimes however you're feeling is amplified by seven, eight, nine, 20 times, whatever it may be. So the yeah, fact yeah. that an article like that comes out and uh, an athlete shares that experience, especially as you mentioned, when you feel like you're you're supposed to be on some sort of uppers from jujitsu, and so one of the things that I've tried to espouse on like this show and and grappling hours being, listen, jujitsu is not the magic trick that just makes it all go away. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a magic trick that helps you combat it. But I think what's happened with COVID is a lot of people have had to spend a lot of time on their own and they've realized that, yeah, jiu-jitsu definitely affects them if when they don't have it, but that it may also be hiding underlying things. So it's always very, very important that people, you know, talk about it because for us on the interviewing side, if you don't bring that up, it's not like we can ever just say like, hey, 
by the way, you've looked depressed lately when you've been going <laughs> for your rear naked chokes. So right. <laughs> it's a really, really good um, thing for us to get that sense of honesty. It's what we're looking for because sometimes as interviewers, and I think Kevin will attest to this too, you know, we see the other side, the interviewee, holding some cards that they're trying to hide. And we may know they've got an ace, but unless they say it, it's kind of hard to really just be like, hey, let's put you out on front street. So that sort of stuff, I think, makes for, you know, the stuff that people want to hear because not everybody wants to be one level of uh, emotion all the time. So that is very much appreciated. And uh, going along with that, though, one thing that I thought that you did very nicely was you get to walk out with the Black Lives Matter uh, as like a background project for, um, I believe it was Fight to Win, correct? Yes, sir. 144. So yeah. what what prompted that and how did you go about doing that? Because I know you have a relationship with them. So that seemed like it was important to you. And I, I would love to get your thoughts as to how that came together. Yes, sir. Um, it's, you know, it's important to me. And like, I don't, you know, when I say black, I think about like, you know, anybody who's socially unjust by the man, you know, we all come together and make one's color is black. But um, I, you know, I didn't really actually prompt that step to set it up i have my song and i have my song I like oh i was gonna walk out actually somebody took the um, uh, childish gambino song that i wanted so i'm like okay we'll play this one right but then Seth put it on the screen i'm like oh okay i like that and <laughs> like, okay that's fire that's fire me up man and you know like i think everybody's life matters but when i say black lives matter i'm not trying to hate on anybody else's but for me it's just about like preserving a culture you know and um, I love everybody. I love everybody. It's all a big rainbow for me. But um, when Seth put that up there, I was like, that is so cool. And then it was sad to see the people um, kind of, like I said, I'm not going to get too deep involved, but it was sad to see like the comments on the page and stuff, people were hating and stuff. And it was kind of sad because we're all jujitsu brothers and sisters. And so there should be no hates. I, you know, there should be no hates. And so, but, uh, but as far as the Black Lives Matters, man, I, I definitely support you know, um, black intelligence, new black minds, new black schools, new black businesses. And it has nothing to do with hating anybody else. It's just, like I said, a cultural thing that, you know, it's just culture for sure. But um, I do appreciate Seth. I do appreciate Seth for putting that up there. Cause that was, that was pretty cool. That's good. I would tell a lot of people this, which is, you know, underrepresentation is always very difficult to explain to people or yeah. uh, oppression and those things. And so it's never like, hey, listen, we're trying to come at the cost of somebody else. But there are certain things that are due to get acknowledgement. And, uh, you know, when, coming from your uh, doing it a couple months ago to just this weekend, seeing the comment section uh, control, copy and paste the exact same comments back there. It does indicate that, hmm, maybe there is reason for people want to want to express their support because those comments seem to always find their way in no matter what. So, you know, it's not like it's just something people are inventing. You, you see it thrive from people that sometimes you wouldn't even expect who just feel they need to tell you something in a comment section. Yeah. And that's the bad thing about social media nowadays. Everybody wants to, 
you know, and I guess it sells. Being a tough guy sells or talking trash, and it sells, you know. But just, like, just be real. It's hard. It literally is so hard trying to be me or trying to figure out how to be me. I don't have to try to be anybody else or try to be tough. But it just sucks that people go on comments and, like, say mean stuff on blocked accounts or even on regular accounts because there's no consequences of that, you know. You can call somebody whatever you want on social media, and you don't ever have to really see that person. But it's just like, you know, it just me, if we all just showed compassion and more empathy, really more empathy, we would all just be, because I'll never be able to see what you can see, but we can still cry the same tears, you know, like I can be like, I can feel your pain, not feel your pain, but I can cry with you as a brother, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of sad to see those hateful people, but there's hateful people everywhere around the world. So I just got to focus on the positive people and, you know, there's a bunch of my community and that's all we can do. And it's important to note that comment section provides a certain safety because I've I've interviewed Isaiah and he's lovely because, you know, I've never tried to um, drop Sayunagi in or shoot at his leg. But I, I will assure you the safety of the comment section must be nice. I always that cracks me up when people are making comments about fighters. It's like you should be very careful just as a heads up. Because uh, yeah. it's a fun crew to to pick on, or at least think that you're you're a little tougher. But I I'll also give you know I I think it's a nice shout out to fight to win. But to me, it's so important for grapplers because, like most communities, we have we have a lot of representation, especially grappling such a clash of some some really interesting communities of everybody. So. It's just great to see Black Lives Matter, and it's a promotion of love, and especially the the promotion of which you you resemble it. But I also want to kind of give to me it's it's fascinating your honesty in the interviews, and like Raph said, whenever a journalist gets like an actual honest answer, it's always oh, oh yes, excellent. <laughs> of course, you're excited for the fights. Like it's really nice to hear that. Uh, no, I'm not excited right now. I'm in a dark place because we have a lot less human interaction in in this current yeah. genre. So hearing how people feel internally is arguably more important than it was three or four months ago where you'd get to see it and feel it. But I thought between that and the sobriety, because your grappling is so disciplined and it's so excellent. And I think we always forget that people can be so many things. And it's like you can mm-hmm. you can be so meticulous and disciplined and obviously, you know, that that is its own art and still struggle with addiction. Right. And our community has certainly certainly shared that. So to me, that was that was powerful. And I was just going to give give an additional shout out there, especially especially, especially during now. So. I appreciate it. And it was cool because I'm definitely not alone. I had people hit me up say, hey, man, I. I've been sober for this amount of years. If you need somebody to talk to, please reach out. So, you know, I really appreciate the love and I when you know, still talk to those people and stuff. So it's, it's a good to have a, a different community and stuff like that. So, and then the hate on the comment section, stop hating on the comment sections because I never had my lips kicked off, but I also don't talk trash on the internet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't talk trash. I'm not trying to know fight nobody, but man, the, but let's just, well, we always have a good chuckle. Like, I, I was explaining this to my wife yesterday where I say, you know, these guys, when they do memes or, or funny things, I just want it to be funny. Like, I don't care if they dislike us, but if it's funny, then we're good. You know, um, I'll repost a funny meme that trashes us, but man, it, it better be funny. And that's <laughs> the real sad part about the degree of difficulty for the people who chime in in the comment section. They're not good at their jobs. Otherwise, they'd be doing it. 
So mm-hmm. half the time, whenever you see a nice offering, it's essentially like they've dropped a bird as a cat at your door and you go, oh, you tried. Well, this does nothing for me. So I'm going to throw it in the trash where it belongs. Much like right. your opinion. Thanks. All right. Bye now. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've come to be pretty funny about it. I mean, Kevin, when we were doing one of our fight companions, somebody was trying to do a run on Kevin and was trying to be like, hey, that dude looks drunk. And I was like, well, fun story. He is. And <laughs> guess what? Uh, y'all are just trying to make fun of him. But Kevin is a thousand times funnier than you. I was so. tipsy at best. I yeah. still, I, I don't. Uh, where are you? always going to hate. It's okay. Where are you fighting next, Isaiah? Um, you know what? I have nothing on the plans right now. Uh, you know, it, like I said, any promotions that are looking for something, I'm definitely down for anything. So I applied for a couple of fights for matches and some other promotions and stuff like that. So I don't really have anything. I'm just kind of training and, and we train in the garage, we train at Easton, and you know, been out to Vegas and train at the academy with the Honey Badger. He has a really cool school. Yeah, let's that. talk about what? that real quick because He's I don't know the... if it goes. Hey, oh, go uh, on. That's I didn't know so, that. So, little background about them. Uh, you know, <laughs> Honey Badger has his own academy now. Uh, I still haven't been to that place yet. I definitely want to. I go to Vegas all the time. And uh, he's a friend of the show, but one of the things that I really love about that is you guys competed against each other uh, way back yeah. in the day. And so is that how you guys came to know each other, or did you guys know each other before? No, it was from it was from jiu-jitsu, you know? And it was funny because, like, back in the day, it just tells you how silly and mentally it was. I, I didn't even like the guy, and I had no reason not to, but it was like we're having a match. So I was like, oh, it was good. You know, it's like trying to pump myself up for whatever reason. So we had to imagine he was like the nicest person in the world. It was like, it was like, oh, dude, you're so cool. So even that way in, it was like, even that way in, I get there and I'm like, you know, oh, so just fight to a match. Let's go, baby. And I get there and I'm like, oh, he's so cool. And then, um, yeah, we shook hands. Yeah, he was super cool. I can't even lie about it. And, um, well, yeah, it was fight to win Vegas. I'm not for sure. I can't remember exactly when it, what year it was, three years, four years ago. But then I went to Vegas and I hit him up and um, it just shows the kindness of his heart. He let me come to his family, you know, to his academy and it showed me nothing but love. And it was really cool. I had a blast, to be honest with you. I mean, dude, I like to consider him a friend, but I've trained with him and it's not fun. So <laughs> I just know that he is one of the nicest human beings outside of training on the mats with him. Uh, but he's he's a very cool person. His uh you know, one day he, I just had like two questions. I was like, "Hey, man, I got yeah. I know you're the Footlock guy, but I need some mm-hmm. uh, some confidence in this area and some suggestions in this area." And the guy spent over an hour just working with wow. me on it. And then at the, the end of it, you know, was just like, "Hey, man, I'm so happy you came." And I was like, "Why would you be happy I came here? <laughs> I'm the one that's happy you spent time." doing this for me it has nothing to do with me you're the one being nice um so I, that's why i've been so ugh about not being able to uh, get to his academy just yet but it's coming it's coming sir uh, i would say this though how have you navigated through covid because to me and kevin there's a certain gene that we do like to fulfill doing jiu-jitsu with our brains but we're not professionals so yeah. that's not necessarily our first line of business. It's not our first line of 
of being uh, an athlete and, and our persona, what, how did you navigate whatever you were going through during COVID? Oh man, COVID was interesting. You know, like I said, uh, going through sobriety, that's, you know, that's rough. Cutting sugar is worse than that. That was super rough. Um, you know, so, but like training at first, it, it was interesting because all the gyms were closed, but I was honored to be blessed. My roommate, um, works for a tournament we were sure uh, and we were able to have some mats to use at the house so we cleaned out the garage shout out to anthony for sure it's my boy um so uh we cleaned out the garage and you know we were able to be able to use the mats for a little bit so me and him and my lady and my brother we've just been training in the garage and you know doing like prison style workout with these little old rusty weights that i have and stuff like that if i was doing tetanus shot for touching those weights but you know like it was it was it was you know so it was good to like navigate but uh, to me like it was a hidden blessing like you know i got to spend more time at home uh my lady's an ot so she works with kids you know from a spectrum high and low so it was cool to be able to like now, you know, I'm not able to see what she does. Like, I can hear and, like, hear her passion and hear her talk more about Shout her Shout out to Jesse, um, badass purple belt. Yeah, Jesse's purple, yeah. You know, future Jesse, right? Uh, my relationship with my brother got stronger, you know. So, like, to me, it was, you know, I read some more books. I was able to find myself a little bit more. So, I, you know, for me, like, navigating through it was hard, but it was it was, it was was for the best, you know. And I, can, I know it was rougher for people that had businesses and stuff like that. And, you know, it's really sad for people who had lost everything but for me you know i it was you know it was, it was really cool i got to kayak every day let my hair grow out you know so it was it was it was, it was cool for me man but i am excited to get back to teaching and is what normal is we can make you know and like i said there's bad in everything you know if you mm. you know if you look at the bad and that's all you're going to find but there's just so much beauty to life and that is just it's hard to be sad you know and or stay sad Correct me if I, I misheard this, but you said that you were training with your brother? Oh, uh, yes, sir. So he has continued training in this whole time, or has it been on and off? Where where has he no. been? He's been on and off. Uh, he has uh, two beautiful children, so he has life. We took a little bit different path. But the cool thing about it is, like, he'll come into the gym, and no one knows he's my brother because, you know, he's just trying <laughs> to get back in training. And he'll come in and he'll just whip the shit out of people. And it's awesome to see it. And the people will be like, well, you know, <laughs> you know, some people get in their feelings a little bit. And like, oh, you're Isaiah's brother? Well, that makes sense. But then he's <laughs> always been, yeah, it's awesome to see. And, you know, once he gets his cardio back, he'll definitely be a killer. <laughs> he gets but, um, your you know, street cred. That's how good you are, by the way, for those listening. Yeah. It's like people are like, oh, his brother's good? Oh, now I feel better. Cool. <laughs> he might feel different about it, you know. I was like, damn, I'm I'm not Isaiah's brother, I'm Xavier. But um he's definitely good and like um he's he's really good and I'm I'm excited to get him back or get he's excited to get himself back into training because um it's just good to be able to, you know, build that relationship back again. So it's just different. Now we're men so it's cool we can you know, respect each other at a different level rather than being kids. So it's really now, cool. We talking older or younger brother here? Uh it's my little brother. Okay. So yeah, I'm a little I, bit bigger, but he's always been faster, and he's, he's better at sports. I'm just a little bit bigger. Hey, listen, that I understand that very well. Uh, I would just say that uh, when you said the phrase, like, when he gets back in here, I mean, when he chooses to get back in here, I was like, that sounds like some older brother language right there. <laughs> I had to fix my terminology my phrases real quick. <laughs> <laughs> you seriously just think it out through. It's like, oh, I'm on a show. 
I better make sure we give the illusion he has a choice uh, to go back. <laughs> I just want to tell you this, man. As somebody who didn't have a brother to train with, and you know, my two sisters, one of them photographs with me, and I love that, and she loves the sport. And, you know, she's older than me, but she's like, I can't do this stuff. I was like, well, you could. It would hurt. Don't get me wrong. But you can. <laughs> it's possible. It's just a thing. And when you do it, you love it. But to me, to have a brother that you can train with, I think, has to be the coolest. And more importantly, during COVID, it's got to be something that is a unique gift at this time that you get that opportunity to do that. So I, I think that is especially cool. Yes, sir. I've been truly, truly blessed. I, you know, truly blessed. I'm excited for it. It's well, okay. It's just me and the dogs, and frankly, my pit bull has terrible cardio. So I, I've just got no one <laughs> I can train with. <laughs> it's just watching YouTube hey, you videos. Can on, you can do jitsu on the dogs. I got a couple of videos of me trying to wrestle the dog and he'll hook my puppy. It's possible. <laughs> they all, they always win, and you can't wrist lock them. They got like flexible <laughs> wrists. And I mean, people are like, oh, my God, what's he doing to the dogs? But, um, no, um, but yeah, it, it, it's cool. And then we did some Zoom classes over line. And, like, it wasn't ideal, but it was cool to be able to, like, see everybody and yeah. see the kids over the Zoom. And, like, it was really, really cool to see the kids. So, you know, you, you can make it happen if you want to make it happen. Hey, and listen, the nice part about the Zooms, I think, more than anything is – I don't think anybody was mistaken in thinking, man, my technique's going to be so good because of these Zooms. I think it was more so like, hey, the gym should offer it. People want to try and stay fit. But more than anything, just seeing people during those yeah. first few weeks of COVID was so important because so many people were starting to really go nuts of being isolated from people. So uh, as weird as it was, don't get me wrong, like I looked at one Zoom class on mine, I muted my video and I resumed <laughs> watching TV and I was like, listen guys, I love you. I'm here for mental support. But like, if I can't choke any of y'all, this is all just fucking like Dungeons and Dragons at this point. I might as well be rolling a dice and <laughs> like trying to do that. So, you know, yeah, that, you're that right, was... though. You're right. I would say this though to you, and I, this is a personal favor on, on my side over here. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, Kevin and I have famously rolled a lot, uh, not a ton, but he lives obviously at Denver. I live out here in California. The last time we were rolling, Kevin was very suspiciously close to a knee bar on me. And I would say that I probably would have tapped to like anybody else, but not to Kevin. So I need you to promise me that you will not help Kevin in any way. Because that would be problematic I, for me. I don't know if I can. He's in Denver, though, so I, I don't. You know, I don't know if I can make those promises. Uh, I'll, I'll, Kev, I, I don't know if I can make. I'll do my best though not to have him knee bar you as many times. <laughs> this is not the first time he's tried to do this. He knows that I've been so some behind the scenes. I've been like. Pinging Isaiah, I'm trying to make a triumphant return to jiu-jitsu after getting myself Humpty dumpty back together by Kaiser Permanente. And uh, Raph has previously intervened with Rafael Lovato Jr. I was at a seminar at Jubera. It's like my first one. And Lovato's there, and he's like, hey, you're Kevin. And I was like, yeah, hey, sir, we've interviewed and talked before. He's like, I'm not supposed to teach you anything. Get out. And I was like, 
I didn't know if he was joking. He's not like normally. He doesn't normally chop at you. So to be uh, fair, I just told him to do it. I didn't know he would, and that's not my control. And Kevin, I didn't say, "Hey, listen." Isaiah, don't teach Kevin anything. I just said his knee bar was close enough as was last time we met with someone whose name is literally in here on the insignia that says the last knee bender. What more evidence do I need to make a request, Kevin? Well, the ultimate absolute would give you all the evidence you need that you should be worried about this guy's leg locks. I do. I will say that Lovato, everybody was like, they sent the wear white geese and John Combs showed up in the bluest gee I've ever seen. <laughs> hey, they're both savages. Though. They're both definitely savages. I mean, it was hilarious. They're both friends of the show, so we can always speak candidly of, of John Combs. And John Combs, by the way. His, but you I should was... have seen his face, by the way, when he walked in. You could tell he was like, oh, shit. <laughs> That's my bad, guys. commenting all of you. Well, he does that to begin with, and that's already an issue that we have between us. But I, I did a little project with uh, John recently, and uh, at the end of the interview, he just goes, hey, man. Uh, send me a picture of your dog, man. Send me. I, I want to see your little French bulldog. And I go, John, I got other stuff to do, dude. I don't have time to take out to make a video for just you. Like, what do you want it for? And he goes, I just like your dog, Ralph. Let me see your dog. Like, film your dog and send it to me, man. I was like, bro, why are you this ridiculous that this is a term that you need for me? So, yeah, no, John Combs runs deep with with this show. And uh, yeah, obviously he's he's a giant goofball. Anyway, I guess that's, that's awesome. getting beyond like, the point. I say you're, no. we, we could talk to you for hours, and we will. You're going to come yeah. back on the show, but you have to go to like fight school or something. It sounded like competitive tonight, so we we have to say goodbye. The people can find you at the Last Knee Bender um, to watch you fight promotions out there. Call this man, book him mm -hmm. for a fight, warn his competitors to get their orthos on call, but you know, book him. <laughs> um, anything else yeah, yeah. to tell the people, sir? Oh, no, sir. I, I really appreciate you guys taking time to let me hop on the podcast today. Um, and that's it, man. Shout out to Easton, uh, Fetcher Mall, all my professors, Fetcher Valor. Um, yeah, that's it, brother. I appreciate you guys. He is Isaiah Wright. They are Easton. Thank you so much. The number you have dialed has been changed. The new number is... Please note, the new number is...